Welcome to Basecamp, where men join together to seek deeper understanding of authentic menhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. If you're looking for the next level in men's ministry, join us and experience a life of Christian fellowship with men sold out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May God be praised. Morning, guys. God directs the course of history to fulfill his redemptive intent. Now, last time I was up here, I told you a story about West Virginia and the teeth and my dog and whether it was inevitable or not. And we were talking about Paul's conversion. Now we're moving on to chapter 16. And I'm supposed to be talking 16 through part of 17, but in the interests of time, I'm going to shorten that up a little bit. The book of Acts is a history of the Christian church and the spread of the gospel. It's also a history of the opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Throughout, we can see God directing the course of history for his redemptive intent. And this history is our history. This, this God is our God, and he doesn't change. God will never let his redemptive intent go unfulfilled. So let's look at scripture. We're supposed to be, as I say, going through 17, but if you're not reading ahead, please read ahead. Next week, we'll, we will finish out chapter 17. We're in 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. Sometimes God makes his will clearly known. We don't know how the Spirit of Jesus Christ prevented Paul and Silas from going into Asia. Perhaps it was a strong um, intuitiveness or inspiration they got. In air traffic, we'll look at a situation and sometimes we'll say, that just doesn't look right. And I'm not talking about airplanes, I'm talking about where we're dealing with policy and things like that. But we, we get this gut feeling that we don't want to go that direction. And maybe God laid it on them. <laughs> maybe God spoke to them prophetically. Some of the commentators I was reading talked about, hey, perhaps it was Silas that had a word from the Lord or, or, or somebody else, but the scripture doesn't say that. Or may, maybe it was circumstances. One of the commentaries talked about some laws that were in place about the Jews traveling in, in, in the Roman Empire, and, and it was very restrictive. And they said, perhaps that's why they didn't go into Asia or couldn't go into Asia. But again, the, the, the um, scripture's unclear. But my question, Paul had a plan. He wanted, this was a second missionary journey. He wanted to go down, he, he wanted to visit some places he had visited before. He wanted to visit some places that he had never been before and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would God prevent him from doing that? Why would God prevent us from moving forward when we have good plans? Well, we have hindsight and we have the scripture and as we won't find, um, God has kingdom purposes for Paul and Silas and Timothy and then Luke. Verse nine says, 
During the night, now this is after, you know, they've already been prevented from going to Asia. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. A vision appeared to Paul. Okay, God communicated very clearly in this instance. He wasn't working in the background, setting up events um, in such a way that requires our hindsight to see him at work. No, he was clear. And this tells me that you and I can expect God to clearly direct us sometimes. But even in this situation, Saul, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they had no way of knowing the extent of what God was doing in their obedience. We have the benefit of looking back on history, and so we can see some of these bigger movements. When the Spirit prevented them from going to Asia, he was using them to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ for the very first time to the continent of Europe. Let that sink in. God forbade Paul and his companions from going to Asia, then he called them to Macedonia. This could eventually, or this would eventually be the foundation of Christianity and spread the gospel message throughout the world from Europe. So God directs the course of history to fulfill his redemptive intent. Not only did he close a door and open a door, but get this, he made their journey smooth sailing. Verse 11 from Charles, we put out to sea and sailed straight through Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippia, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. This trip seemed to have taken place over two days. While the return, while, while the trip to Asia was prevented, God made the way easy for them to get to Macedonia. When they would return the same trip, when we get to chapter 20, they'll return, it'll take them five days to do the same type of a trip. In verse 13, he goes on, Luke goes on to say, on the Sabbath, this is once they're in Philippi, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak with the women who had gathered there. Now, this is a little different for Paul. You remember his normal mode of operating is go to the synagogue. You know, go to the Jews first and then to the Greeks or the Gentiles. In this case, he didn't go to the synagogue. Why? Well, most of the commentaries agree that there was no synagogue. That was just, there was not enough Jewish men in that particular spot. It requires 10 to have a synagogue. Now, some, some others went on to um, speculate that the place of prayer was actually a house of prayer, a building like a synagogue. It was a place that the non-Jews went and worshiped God. But we, again, we don't know that. He goes to this place of prayer, and he meets and he, and he meets a woman there. He goes to do what he does. Paul called him to preach Jesus Christ. So he gets up, he goes to this place of prayer, and he preaches Jesus Christ. Remember, um, his normal operation was to go to the Jews and explain, this is who Jesus is. Because he's tying them to being the Savior that they already know about. And this is what Jesus did. This is the redemptive story. This is how our sins are forgiven. 
to the Gentiles, he doesn't go so much into who Jesus is. He goes into what Jesus does. In this case, one woman, a Gentile, a merchant from Asia, remember this is where Paul was not allowed to go to, she was from Asia, now living in Philippi, she responded to the gospel. Verse 14 says, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Do you see God directing the course of history here? The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul was faithful in following and doing what God told him to do. God was faithful to opening hearts. Verse 16, once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money from her owner's fortune teller. Now Luke's capturing some very specific in, um, uh, events here. This is a precursor to what's about to happen. Paul puts up with this um, slave girl following him, speaking the truth, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God. They're telling you the way of salvation. This spirit speaks the truth. And she follows them very vocally. These men are men of God. They're servants of the Most High God. She does this for several days. And then Paul, out of annoyance, and it says he was annoyed, he commands the spirit to leave the girl in the name of Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? The spirit leaves the girl. The spirit obeys. And this wasn't just a demonstration of the power of the name of Jesus Christ. It was a demonstration that God even uses spirits. God even uses rebellious angels. God uses everything. It's all under God's dominion in order to progress history for his redemptive intent. So what happens next? Verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, once again, these men are Jews. Was there some prejudices near, here? Didn't drag the Greeks up there with them. They'd left Timothy and Luke alone. But these men are Jews and they're here stirring up and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowds joined them. The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And they had been severely flogged. Remember that part. They'd been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Paul and Silas were victimized here. Because of greed, because of the loss of income with a slave, with a slave girl, the owners lashed out against Paul and Silas. They were lied about, they were unjustly imprisoned. They were picked out because they were Jews. 
But you know what? God used even the evil intent of men for good, for redemption. Can you understand that God sometimes ordains things that he hates to happen? I mean, there's some obvious example, Joseph. Last week we celebrated Holy Week. Think about Jesus crucified. Actually, think about the events that led up to the crucifixion. How awful. Again, the beatings, the scourgings, the betrayal, the loss of blood. It's just too much to think about. God uses things he hates. And I'm certain that he hated everything that happened to his son. But he had a reason. He permitted it for a higher purpose. He permitted it to redeem each and every one of us. And we suffer. Each one of us suffers in some way. I'll never compare my suffering to that of Jesus Christ, nor Paul, nor Silas. But we all suffer. Does God have a purpose in your suffering? Is God directing the course of history to fulfill his redemptive intent in some way? I think Paul and Silas realized this. Well, they, they got it. It's the only explanation I can come up with for verse 25. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas, remember they were just severely beaten? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and other prisoners were listening to them. They were beaten, they were falsely imprisoned, they were praising God, they were singing hymns to God. They worshiped God because they understood that God uses what men mean for evil for good. They realized that the men that mistreated them, the jailer, the ones that dragged them before the magistrates, the magistrates themselves were not in control. The spirit in the girl that, was, that led to this event was not the one in control. Whatever the circumstances were that prevented them from going to Asia, the circumstances that they were in was not in control. God was in control. And in our circumstances, we need to keep that in mind. God is in control. They rejoice because God rules and his providence covers all things. They didn't blame the ones that imprisoned them. They worshiped God and the prisoners, the other prisoners there, they listened. They were rejoicing in their suffering and the world noticed. Verse 26 says, suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everybody's change came loose. Everybody's, not just Paul and Silas's. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Can you imagine God's hand so clearly at work in this instance? The earthquake, every door being flung open, all of the chains, all of the, the bonds, what was the word, coming loose. Those are supernatural events. And again, God's directing the course of history to fulfill his redemptive intent. But why would God do that? Why did all these things have to happen? And the answer is in verse 29. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. This man was terrified 
at the events that just took place. And I don't think it was the thought of losing the prisoners. I think it was the whole supernatural thing going on here. He then brought them asked, and he asked, this is the important question, Sir, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now that's not enough just to say, believe in Jesus. They went on to say, then, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. What's the word of the Lord? That's the gospel. That's a part. This is Jesus Christ and this is what he did. This is how you can be redeemed. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all of his family were baptized. Brought them into the house. He fed them. I'm skipping to the last part here. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Are you starting to see the course of events that God puts into motion because of Paul's obedience and how that is so far beyond Paul's understanding where he is in the moment? When he was prevented from going into Asia, he could have been bitter. He could have said, I had a plan. I had a great plan. It was a kingdom plan. I was going to go preach the gospel in Asia. But God didn't bless that, so... Yeah, I'm done. No, he didn't say that. Instead, he was obedient, and he looked for God. He looked to see where God was working. God directed him, and he obeyed. Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they had no concept of how the gospel would spread because of their act of obedience. They went to Macedonia as directed. They preached. God opened Lydia's heart, her and her household, the lady from Asia. Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into prison, but they rejoiced. They praised God. They sang hymns despite their circumstances, and the gospel spreads in miraculous ways. God directed the course of history, and you, have, and, you and I have come to know, or if you don't know, you have the opportunity to know that we can be redeemed of our sins. We can be redeemed to God no matter what the circumstances we have been or are in through Jesus Christ, thanks to the obedience of those that came before us. Did God need these events to happen in this particular order or by these particular people? Of course not, he's God. But through scripture, we see clearly his hand directing the course of history for redemption, his redemptive intent. So can you think for a moment about what God may put in place as a result of your obedience? We'll never see the long-term, the second, the third order effects of being obedient, but we can see these examples of God does so much more with our acts of, of obedience. Paul Timothy, Silas, they had no concept of how far the gospel would spread. They just knew they were called to spread the gospel. God had not blessed them with that kind of foreknowledge at that time. Had they not turned to Macedonia, they would not be in a position to see God redeem those households. Next week, Harry's going to pick up and talk to the 
the talk about the apostle in um, Athens. So please read through chapter 17. And while you're doing that, look for other instances where God providentially worked to shape history for his redemptive purposes. So now, in your groups, a couple questions. The first two really hit me hard. Have you ever made plans to do kingdom work, to do really good stuff that did not seem to bear fruit? And could God have used you in ways that you just couldn't imagine at the time? And the second one, have you found a situation where you needed the intestinal fortitude to worship God during periods of suffering? Some of the guys on the prayer call like to say, I dare you to praise God in the suffering. Will you dare to praise God in your suffering? And the third question, if you get that far, what does it mean for you, to you, that God has providence over each of these things, these instances that we discussed for his purposes? Thank you.